class is in session. This is, the, this is the last episode, the last class of Academia Giallo of 2023. I can't believe it, you guys. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, Brian, who was very, oh. very so much for, looking forward to talking about the movie at hand today, could not join us. But he's here in spirit. And uh, hopefully he'll, he'll catch this later. And uh, we will have done him proud with our dissection of 1982's, <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? Pieces, yes. directed by Juan Piquet Simon. If I, I, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but um, yeah, we're going to give it a shot. So today I'm joined once again by my esteemed faculty of Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC and John Kitley of Kitley's Crypt. And um, yeah, we're going to talk about a film that for once, this happens very rarely, but I have actually seen the movie that we're going to talk about oh, before. I this is not the first time. I thought I I don't know where that came from. I might have misspoken during a live stream or miscommunicated something during an email, but I have seen pieces. I had not seen it in oh my gosh, possibly 10 years. So it's interesting when this was floated as an idea for Academia Giallo, I thought, well, pieces is a slasher movie. This isn't really this doesn't fall into the Gialli category, but then, you know, just about as soon as I popped it in, I realized, yeah, this is a, this is a Giallo. But based on the, the conversations we've been having low these many years, um, I saw a lot of the signposts. I'm excited to get into this uh, with you guys. So um, let's start with our um, our experiences of pieces um kitley i'm gonna let you go first uh, because you are you're you're doing the thing the rock concert thing you are wearing the t-shirt of the band you showed up for so to speak i'm that guy <laughs> so um how, how'd you first come to pieces <laughs> well that's that's a whole different episode um <laughs> probably back in the video days when it when it was released because it's one of those that's just so gory that's the first thing that you're gonna as a gore hound, you're going to be drawn into. But then the, the more you get into the Italian stuff and you realize that it's it's a combination of a of a giallo, but just so over the top in its absurdity, in the gore, in the red herrings. It's just, it's almost a shame to call it a giallo because it really <laughs> makes fun of that kind of but it, again it's just so over the top that i don't know how you can watch this and not be entertained very much so i mean from that opening scene which we'll we'll get to i remember watching because i think i had been listening to some horror podcasts or something you know forever ago they said they were talking about pieces in this outrageous you know bloody movie i'm like i gotta check this out i was not prepared for just from the opening scene with the uh the axe murder but um how many times have you seen pieces john um multiple i've okay. seen it at i've seen it at the drive-in i've seen it in the theater at least twice um maybe at the drive-in twice but it's it's been a few times and i cannot tell you how many times i've seen it on vhs and blu-ray it's been a few now, i want to ask you the the drive-in and the theater experiences were they like the old beat up kind of original prints you might see at a drive-in or a grindhouse or are they kind of the restored like oh we're projecting a blu-ray thing no it was the the first time i saw it in the at a drive-in was the last believe it or not it was the last feature ever to be screened at this drive-in before they tore it down <laughs> which was here in aurora uh which was 
depressing as hell, but that's a whole different story. Um, I don't think Grindhouse had Grindhouse releasing had reissued it by that time, so I think it was a film print. Um, wow. Then I saw it at the Music Box in one of their 24-hour marathons, which I got to say, seeing this at like five in the morning <laughs> is a whole completely different surreal <laughs> experience. Um, but I I've, I have seen, I know the, like I said, the original drive-in version I had seen was a film print. So, but I don't remember it being terribly like grainy quality or whatever. It was still a decent print. I, I bring that up only because of pretty much of all the movies we've talked about or, or a good number of them, this feels like it needs to have the, the scratches and the, <laughs> and just that yeah. worn. I mean, it feels so dirty and exploitative and, and weird that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with watching it on a nice cleaned up Blu-ray, but there is something, especially if you're going to go out and see it, you know? Um, all right. AC, how about you? Uh, well, I also have a, like a full frame DVD with rip of a VHS so I, 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 I get what you're saying and I agree. It's like, it's just one of those that feels kind of naughty and, and dirty from the beginning, from the beginning. Um, my uh, first introduction to this film was the infamous prom night <clears throat> where I watched this evil dead nightmare on Elm street and howling Two: your sister's a werewolf. So that was, that was my prom night, which should tell you what a swinger I was. Uh, it was, uh, but, but pieces was the final film of the evening. And it basically, uh, the sun was coming up when, you know, the final moments rolled around. And I remember my friend, Jim, who was hosting his mom came down the hall just as Kendall gets the big grab. And she was like, what the hell is this? And we were all like, I don't know, but because it was VHS, we rewound that scene about eight times. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was it was a glorious memory. And like John, I have seen it many, many times over the years. Uh, I've also gotten to see it in the theater. Uh, I've not done the drive-in thing, but I, there's something about being in a theater full of people all, you know, shouting along. Like it, This is a film that needs like a shadow cast uh, going along with it because there's so many great lines. There's so many great moments. Um, it's just, uh, I just think it's one of those amazing, amazing films. And I just watched a documentary on Juan Piquer Simone. Really? Um, it's uh, on the Severn release of Alien from the Abyss. No, that's not right. Uh, Extraterrestrial Visitors. And uh, that's Synapse, I think. Sorry. But uh, it was a great, like it's a hundred minute documentary on his career and how he would kind of follow the trends. You know, he was very much a B movie maker, but like he would always have huge successes with his movies because he would deliver something that kind of one-upped what the genre was doing at that time. So uh, yeah. And I think this is, this is certainly a one-up on both, the giallo and um, and the the basic slashers we were seeing. Well, one of the things that I love about pieces that I kind of just discovered in this viewing, because um, I think this is only the second, maybe the third time I've watched all the way through in that in that long decade. Um, I don't have to make uh, an obscure or reaching Friday the Thirteenth reference because the film does it for me in the dorm room where Kendall, our 
protagonist is getting it on with a lovely young co-ed and she sits up because he's got to go do something and she wants him to stay because um, she promises she'll be quiet. Uh, there's a Friday the 13th poster hanging up right behind them. And this is two years <laughs> after that movie came out. And it definitely does feel like, a as you put it, a one-upsmanship on just the, the slasher. There's stuff that I had forgotten about uh, in terms of the kills that is still shocking to me, including the fact that, hold on, uh, I got to put on the spoiler banner for this one, just in case you haven't seen pieces. First of all, shame on you. Fix that right away. It'll change your life. But okay, there's the elevator kill where uh, a young lady is, she was in the gym, right? She was coming out of the, uh, at, was she swimming or she was coming out of the, there's so many like nameless co I think, I think she murdered. was our dancer. I think she's our dancer. Yes. The dancer. Yeah. Okay, that's right. There's dancers, there's swimmers, there's private there's investigators. Tennis, there's tennis players. That's right. They cover, they, it's almost like a. It's like a decathlon. Yeah. I was going to say like every, like the setup for every bad porno movie from the seventies, but you know, um, <laughs> so our thing, dancer, really. right. Well, our dancer, uh, gets into an elevator and, uh, the killer gets in with her <laughs> hearing, I swear to God, a giant chainsaw behind his back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when he gets in, he cuts her straight in half. Her body is discovered, um, by well, actually, uh, sorry, he, he lops off her arm in the elevator the 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 cutting oh. in half is in the bathroom stall okay yeah See, yeah thank you that's the swimmer thank you for okay that's why it was a swimmer the the other i think point of confusion is there's so many co-eds and so many sports <laughs> activities they run together plus a and they don't of get a very killed. much of an introduction either not at all. And, and they're, the, a lot of them are killed in like cubicle situations, like yep. a, a shower stall or an elevator. Yep. Okay. I think it was the girl who gets chopped in half because, or maybe it was the elevator. I don't remember, but she's horribly mutilated. We get a look at the body and then the cops show up and they're like, someone get an ambulance here. She's barely hanging on. I'm like, wait a no, second. That, okay, what? That, so that, that is the elevator one. So she gets her arm lopped off and, and that, I love that scene because they're like, what do you, you know, like she's barely hanging on. We got, we got to try and talk to her, talks to the doc. Doc's like, uh, she has no chance at all. <laughs> and basically it's just, I'm like, she's alive. She's not alive anymore. Never no. mind. No, because one of the characters peeks into the, uh, the elevator and sees like this pile of meat. I'm like, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing there that it's all in pieces. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this movie has a very cheeky sense about itself, including, uh, possibly one of my favorite characters in the history of cinema willard who's the the disgruntled the groundskeeper he's sort of the the harry dean stanton from alien of this movie um he's just kind of like poking around like what am i gonna be done with my contract and what am i gonna get paid and he's got this great he looks like uh bluto from popeye but he's got popeye's eye where it's that is like, that is that is bluto that was him that's paul, paul smith. smith yeah from from robert altman's popeye yeah, okay right. that makes so much more sense now um <laughs> yeah. and i watched popeye a couple of years ago i i'm you know uh, i'm fine with having to turn in my critics card i don't like that movie i've given it a couple of chances <laughs> does anybody no. like that movie uh, oh lots of people man you're gonna find stands for popeye all over film twitter or film x wow, whatever you want to wow, call it okay okay i know it's weird but um no if if this willard had been bluto in popeye like just the character Whole, whole different movie, uh, all-time top 10. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I keep looking over at IMDb and they have, you know, they have film stills from the movie uh, that they show. It's all the same girl. I think it's the swimmer, uh, including the shot of her rear naked behind in the stills that are on the front page of IMDb when you look up pieces. So I'm like, I got to scroll down. This is weird. Um, Anyhow, there. Let's talk about that opening scene. I know I'm jumping all around here. We're, we're doing this. It's a very fragmented episode. Oh, it's in pieces. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, oh, by the way, I got to pull over a second to say hello to Jonas. Hey, Jonas. He says, hi, guys. Hi, back. Glad you could join us. Um, but so it opens in 1942, so 40 years before present day. And uh, there's a little boy putting together a puzzle in his room. And um, it's a puzzle. I don't know where you buy these puzzles. I, I got to find the <laughs> shop. Um, it's a, it's like a 300-piece puzzle of a naked woman. Yep. And mom walks in, and she's very disapproving. She scolds him. Uh, she says, you know, go get a bag. We're going to throw this out, and we're going to burn all your stuff. And he comes back, not with a bag, with a giant axe, and proceeds to hack her into bits. Um, then he sits down to complete the puzzle and the cops you know there's a neighbor lady or a maid or someone knocking on the door there's no answer so cops come in they break down the door he is at this point hidden in the closet and they open the closet one closet door they find mom's severed head and the next closet over is little kid crying like oh there's someone attacked and there's blood everywhere cut to 40 years later it's a it's a co-ed college campus in boston and um i still do not understand the first modern day kill <laughs> with the mirror. It's a, it's a Warner brothers cartoon of like a truck, a mirror plate mirror truck pulling up. And these guys walking this comically large piece of glass, maybe it was for the ballet studio across the street. You've got a girl who's roller skating and listening to her Walkman. She plows right into the thing as horribly killed. What does that have to do with I- anything? Watching her skateboard is seriously like she's like doing this, you know, like balancing act and she's waving at people. Uh, I had the exact same thought. I'm like, is this ever addressed ever again? And the answer is no, no, it's not. And uh, but it's a great way to kick things off. And that's one thing that J.P. Simon was always about was he was about the moments. He was like, we're going to. We're going to deliver something every five minutes. We're either going to have some nudity, we're going to have some violence, we're going to have just some insanity, and uh, and, and all of the above. And uh, and he that's why he was a great B filmmaker is that he really would deliver uh, those exploitation elements. Well, yeah, pieces pieces is not the film you want to start questioning <laughs> anything because it it literally is there just for what it is it's it's over the top it's absurd it's damn entertaining but don't sit there and go wait a minute if that guy was over there how could he no no it's no well i asked just because even though i've seen this movie a couple of times i still couldn't figure out was there a connection that i just missed like nope she never like they never refer to it again Okay, so it's not like, oh, it's the Dean's niece or something, and that's what set him over the edge. No, it's not a, a Friday the 13th Part 5 situation. Second reference. Um, <laughs> then, immediately after, there is another kill. Uh, a young lady reading a book on campus uh, out in the pleasant, idyllic green grass in the sun. There's a guy uh, trimming trees with a chainsaw. She kind of looks over and is like, don't worry, ma'am, I'll be done in just a second. She goes back to reading her book. All of a sudden, 
she looks up guy with the chainsaw is bearing down on her uh this kind of violates the rule of three because it's a murder montage with only two incidents right like mm. shouldn't there have been a third but it's strange especially now living in our era of social media and connectivity that this story didn't get out much like there's no <laughs> reference to the plate glass uh, window or mirror girl there's no real reference to that chainsaw death um it's only when other bodies start piling up that there's one reporter from a local paper from the boston globe i'm surprised right, they got so that brand name yeah. in there who comes snooping around like i heard there might be something going on and everyone's like no there's nothing going on what are you talking about mm -hmm. like they are yeah they're doing a great job of covering this up i'm like wait a minute there have been like three three deaths uh, in the last like you know 20 minutes here and the it. boston globe is like you know, we hear there's something going on. I'm like, and I love the fact that they're like, no, no. Like it, they just have been able to keep this completely under wraps. It's bad PR. You don't want that. Well, I, going I get it. College that are people are getting butchered. I mean, next thing you know, people won't go to college. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, the, it was uh, probably another 20 years or 10 years at least until uh, the Boston Globe started uncovering other unsavory things. I think they got a little bit more dogged in their reporting um, mm. in that ensuing time. But um, no, so there is, there's all these murders happening. The cops are short staffed in terms of people that they can <laughs> send in undercover to work this case. So here's another point where I'm confused. Maybe it doesn't matter, but just help me out on this one. There's uh, Mary Riggs, played by Linda Day George. Any relation to Christopher George, our lead She's actor? She's his wife. What? Yep. Okay. They, they wanted a trip to Spain together. I mean, come on. So they were married before this. They oh, were yeah. like, oh, okay. I. They were a power couple in the 70s. No idea. Um, yep. This is changing my life. I might need to, to pause this live stream and come back like in a couple of weeks to process this. But okay, so she plays uh Boy, a first Bluto, now this. <laughs> Ian is done for the, the day. Pop culture references are just <laughs> flying in. I did it. Look, I'm all ready for a Christmas break. I didn't do my studying for this class. <laughs> she's, a, she's a Golden Globe nominee. He's an Emmy nominee. And not you for pieces, surely. You would you wouldn't know it from this movie, but yeah, they they were they were uh thriving professionals and again this is uh this was toward the end of christopher george's life and career yeah uh i think this may be the last thing he did no he did mortuary uh or at least mortuary came out at the end that was the last one i think he did well With we talked about a film today george as well right and bill paxton yep oh <clears throat> Well, I, we talked about another Christopher George uh, here on uh, Academia Giallo a while ago, and I'm blanking on what it was. Did was we? One where he's the author? No, uh, I, I don't think so. I think that I, was Aunt Tony Franciosa. Did they get a Tenebrae? Maybe. Maybe it was Tenebrae. I don't think Christopher George has done another Giallo that we've talked about. I have I distinctly remember watching okay. a movie where he pops up and I don't go looking for well, okay so we George did movies. we did do Gates of Hell a few years back and he hmm. is in that okay there you go mystery solved <laughs> uh, but okay my mystery is is Mary Riggs a champion tennis star and an undercover cop or is she yes. a champion tennis star who hangs around the police station and the cops are like we need you well, she says, this is my job. So apparently she is a famous tennis player who's also an undercover cop. It's a yes and. Yep. Right. But doesn't 
undercover <laughs> cop cancel out star tennis player or vice versa? I mean, versa. you know, it, when you're gonna get you're gonna get somebody of uh, Mary Riggs's quality to come and coach your your college team. I guess you don't ask too many questions, or any at all, apparently. But she teams up with uh, Kendall who's played by Ian Sarah, And I love this guy, not just because as the actor shares my first name, which I thought was kind of rare, but also because he's that rare breed of leading man in a movie that he's a complete scumbag. And he's also kind of the hero. And he also gets his comeuppance at the end of the movie, possibly, because I'm not convinced that last shot is not some kind of like, again, Friday the 13th, you know, survivor girl in a boat fever yep. dream. Yep. Um, but we'll get to that. But no, he's a uh, he basically skirts death by cheating on various women because there's he's in the library and this one girl that he's interested in says, I'm going to go for a swim. Meet me in the pool. And he doesn't go to meet her in the pool. He goes to have apparently a 30 minute sexual encounter with someone else while his other girlfriend is getting butchered in the pool. He's somehow back from this tryst into the library in time for his friend to pass him a note that was dropped off at the dean's office to say, hey, come meet me at the pool or something, discovers the body, horrified. He winds up being almost deputized into helping the <laughs> cops out with this investigation. They're shorthanded. Look, they're shorthanded, and then there's this kid. <laughs> oh, they're shorthanded. They, and plus, Christopher George trusts this kid. He's got a good feeling about him. He didn't obviously ask around campus about this guy because he's like, man. Uh, I love that his, his lieutenant, uh, or not the lieutenant, his buddy, uh, Frank Branya, he's like going, you can't, he's a suspect. He's like, no, you're wrong. I trust this kid with my life. And then at the end, when they're getting ready to break into, spoiler alert, the dean's office, because they figure out he's the killer, Kendall's like, can I come in? Like, no, absolutely not. And he's like, but come on. He's like, but dad. And he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just stay close. And then he almost busts through the door, and Christopher George has to slap him against yep. the wall pretty much yep. to keep him out yep. of harm's way. Um, also, how far away did the cops go during the entire encounter where the uh, the killer dean is attacking both Kendall and uh, Mary in that office. I no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> but again, John, to your point, I'm going to try not to think about this movie too much, although it's the only thing on my mind, uh, including uh, Linda Day George, who I think was is absolutely fantastic in this movie. She's like an actual actress dropped into the schlock. And I felt by when she gets paralyzed by the poison tea or whatever, she's doing so much work with her eyes and her expression. Yep. I'm like, Oh, you don't have to try this hard. I mean, you're amazing, but just you can dial it back a bit. This isn't going to win you any awards. Yeah, but nobody nobody picked up on it. That's right. That's right. That she wasn't communicating to her co-stars. So nope. Speaking of dialing back, there's no way she could dial back her amazing delivery of bastards, bastards, bastards. It's truly one of the most iconic line readings in horror history i will sign my name to that document uh because it, i can watch that clip on youtube i can be in the worst mood and i will pull that clip up and the sun is shining once again well refresh us yeah. for the context of that because you can't just drop that bomb help us out well no 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 because uh she and kendall well, first off, let's just talk about the fact that Mary Riggs 
is a is a champion tennis player. And I love it that like one of the first days she's on campus, she just beats the living snot out of a student in a, an exhibition match. And the, and the crowd's like, yay! And like strike up the band and everything. I'm like, she's a tennis pro and she's playing a student. And uh, wow, it's amazing. She just destroyed him. Anyway, she and Kendall are supposed to play tennis one morning. They show up, the speakers are going wild. And the reason why the speakers going wild is it's, it's our killer covering up the murder of our, uh, our tennis player in the, uh, in the, uh, the bathroom. That's the one who gets cut in half and you just come in and find the pile of guts. But the reason why the killers turned on the uh, loudspeaker to be a distraction. And as Linda Day George will say, while we were out here fumbling with that music, he was in there killing her. That bastard was in there killing her. Bastards, bastards, bastards. Anyway, uh, it's it's just astonishing. And that's where, like when you said, she's a real actress. I'm like, and then there's the moment that she's, really going for the Oscar. I don't know what else you can look. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to stand up for you. I, you got I, I, me. Gonna say, I don't try, try to defend that one. I can't except maybe she was doing the best with the material at hand because it's hard to deliver that, that three line, that repeated three lines Especially when they're on all caps. I mean, what am I, what am I supposed to do? You, you got to also figure that the, uh, director probably told paul smith hey you're kind of a red herring in this so you want to look menacing so yeah. every time he's on camera <laughs> he's leering at hey, when are you going to be finished i don't know <laughs> and then they cut away and he's looking back just every yep. time he gives yep. you that grimace and you're like hmm i wonder if he's the killer Hey, hmm. we're just buying clothes without labels and trying them on for size, you know. Which again, I love that. I love that, that line. That line epitomizes this movie <laughs> right there. They're just trying shit and seeing what sticks. Hey, we're gonna do this. It doesn't make sense. We're gonna put a girl on a skateboard through a glass window. Okay, we'll do that. Yep. yep. A co-ed gets her head chopped off in the middle of the lawn during the daylight. Nobody notices. Nope. Okay. Um, I also like that the pool girl, that's what I'm calling her, the, the one who was supposed to be meeting Kendall, the killer grabs her with one of those nets, like the, right. the pool nets. I mean, <laughs> completely. I would, right. I was thinking, you got to be able to slip out of it. I mean, it wasn't even really twisted around her, <laughs> just like oh. a little bit like that. Um, and she did. She was really out of it because she has no reaction time. And of course, she sits up against the column, which allows him to, you know, <clears throat> yeah, take care of the rest of the business. Um, yeah, I also like just falling over into the pool away right. from him. Right. That's true. Well, she was also love the fact right that head. Kendall, I love Kendall is in the pool at the same time Paul Smith's in the pool. Like, why he's not a suspect, but Paul Smith is clearly a suspect. It's like, oh man. And I love the fact that Paul Smith just says they go ape shit on the two cops who come in. <laughs> also, why are the two cops there? What like why are why are they there? Anyway. Uh, they Plus, heard you that, all, you, I was gonna say they have, heard she was going for a dip. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you also have after the murder scene, um, Jack Taylor, another Spanish favorite, mm. walks up and just blatantly touches the chainsaw. Don't touch that, there's fingerprints. Oh, <laughs> 
Sorry. <laughs> I think he said you you might destroy you might have destroyed the evidence. Yeah, you might destroy some. Uh, oh oops. well, you know. <laughs> I I just love also that the. I'm trying to figure out how to say this. The girl uh, before she gets in the pool, she's like taking off all of her clothes, as happens in all of these movies. But her jeans are so like skin tight painted on that it's not sexy. It's like comical how long it takes her to get those pants. Yep. She's like yep. sitting there struggling to get them down off of her calves and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, just these these bizarre little touches. Also, I knew from the outset that could not have been Willard, the Paul Smith character, because the killer. And this is the first I've seen in any movie. I think even in Giallo, killer wears loafers. I mean, they are like brown. At first, I thought they were black, but they're brown loafers because those usually the intimidating tracking shots of the, the killer's <laughs> footsteps are like gradually going down the stairs. I'm like, he's wearing loafers. Oh, it's got to be the dean. And sure mm -hmm. enough. Um, well, here, speaking wanna... of bizarre touches before you, whatever you were going to go on to, because uh, this won't take long because it's about Chow, the Kung Fu instructor <laughs> who just, again, just one of those like, completely random uh, guy Dewey. jumps out and just starts karate chopping at Linda Day George, knocks her gun out of her hand, knocks her to the ground, and then kind of like seizes up and passes out. And uh, then comes to after Kendall comes along and says, oh, no, it's just Chow, my Kung Fu instructor. And he's like, oh, I'm out for jog and then I'm on ground. Bad chop suey. Bye. And you're like, what just <laughs> happened? And the answer is that just happened. There's so like every third character in this movie could have their own spinoff. That has nothing to do with what's going on in this film. <laughs> they all I have love their it. own private lives. Yep. Right. And, and Kendall's private life very much involves his privates. I mean, the cops are short staffed, but he is he has a third arm, um, as we see <laughs> kind of in the silhouette as he's jumping out of the, the one bed to see what's going on on campus. I mean, it's unbelievable that like nobody ever really addresses it. I guess it's up to the film at the end to kind of <laughs> give us karmic justice, because the whole time I'm thinking this kid isn't particularly bright. He's not particularly nice or smart. I think he's constantly trying to get into bed with the the hot tennis teacher uh, champ slash undercover cop. Um, well, who has I, I got to say our Mary has terrible hearing. Because when Kendall walks Mary back to her apartment or dorm or whatever, uh, he asked to come in for a beer or a nightcap or something. He's like, another time. Very nicely letting him down. Closes the door. He turns around and his friend is there scaring him, the, the guy with the glasses. And Kendall lets out a scream. Yep. Like a real big yell that you had to have been able to hear on the other side of that door. What's going on? Unless Mary was like, Thank God. I, I I was hoping he would be next. I also just love that like his friend is just like spying on her room, like just kind of like waiting there with a with a fright mask on. And he goes, Casanova. And I was like, what the hell? I like I just want to high five JP Simon like over and over and over again. <laughs> that now, is, is why that's why uh Kendall was such a hot commodity on there because his friend is the other, <laughs> the only other male. guy. Yeah. The only other guy. So, I mean, you got a choice of that idiot or, well, okay, I guess Kendall. Yes. We'll go with Kendall. Yeah. 
that is kind of true. I mean, well, there is always Willard. He's he's always skulking about. Um, I want to pull over. Indie Phantom says Pieces is a trashy Giallo classic. Fun to watch <laughs> it with an audience if you have a chance. As Definitely. as has been attested to earlier in the show. So yeah, I I would love to catch this uh, in a theater at some point. Maybe like you said, it was at Music Box of Horrors a number of years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's one of those that of all the absurdity stuff that we're talking about in a crowded theater just gets amplified to 11. And, and literally when the bastard part comes up, you can hear a freaking pin drop. And then everybody's just like, yes, yes. One more time. <laughs> it, it is truly a, a highly memorable movie memory from, for myself. Um, one of the things I also learned watching this movie is that putting a puzzle together with gloves on is really hard. Um, but they stay with it. I mean, there's, there's so many shots that they just hang on. And like, while he's trying to put the puzzle in with his, with his gloved hand and you're like, seriously, like you couldn't do another take. And they're like, no, he's just going to, we're going to stay on him until he gets that damn puzzle piece in place. Same thing happens when he's pulling the picture out of the box and he's like reaching in and like, just really trying to get this picture out of, hang on a second. I'm almost there. And I'm like, no, no, don't cut. Don't cut at all. Hang in there. So, good. you know, I picked up on that too. And it gives me an idea. Well, actually, you just gave it the idea, AC. <laughs> if there is a, a pieces revival, maybe for the 50th anniversary or something or 45, uh, and you want to do like an event, like get some of, the, I don't know if any of the cast is still around, but, you know, special events, have some games, you know, games for prizes, win a signed poster, win a movie ticket. In the lobby, you should have, like a stand with a whole bunch of nude puzzles that you have to put together, but you have to do it with those black leather gloves. <laughs> it's go. almost like a pie eating contest. Um, I, I do, the, do the do the pie eating contest first. Make it like cherry because then you got the, the really red sticky. stuff all over yep. the oh, red man. stuff over the gloves, and then you're putting the puzzle together. And when Grindhouse released this on Blu-ray, it came with a small reproduction of that puzzle. Whoa! So yeah. cool. I gotta, I gotta find that. It's, it's probably like a thousand dollars by now, but uh, I'll have to look I'll it up. I'll sell you mine for five hundred. <laughs> See, you already got fifty percent off. This is good. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great, and I can explain to my kids. Well, you know what? College didn't really work out, but hey, I got this awesome collectible Blu-ray. You can there also you just tell them to take some uppers or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. One thing this movie had, in addition to Friday the Thirteenth product placement uh a fast food chain that i don't think i've ever seen represented in a movie right? before wendy's right. wendy's gets some serious product placement i i couldn't i nearly if i had been drinking a, a frosty i would have spilled it all over myself i couldn't believe it well they um, used the department's full budget you know because christopher george said after they're all shorthanded and everything he tells them like we'll use the full department's full budget if we have to or that was in Christopher George's uh, in his contract. I get fed Wendy's. <laughs> when I'm here, I get fed Wendy's. Um, oh. So our, our dean, let's talk about the dean of students. Um, Edward Purdom. Yeah. Is he a, where, where would I know, where should I know him from? Anywhere? Has he done well, that? i you, John. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, he was actually a, a pretty I guess a pretty 
well-known actor in, I believe he's, is it Italian? Yeah, I think he's Italian. Um, I mean, he made close to 100 pictures. He's been in a couple of uh, thrillers. He's also made some schlocky films outside of pieces, such as Don't Go, or Don't, is it Don't Open Till Christmas? Oh, that's right. That's right. The Santa Claus one. Yeah. And then he was also in another Simon movie, uh, The Rift, which oh, is okay. also Endless Descent. Um, this is, I think, at the later part of his career, his, I don't want to say lesser quality films, because these are some of my favorites. Yeah. But uh, probably not as well known as some of his earlier films. Um, but yeah, actually, he's. Apparently he's uncredited in Beyond the Door, which that's kind of a shocker. Maybe he was a, hmm. I don't know what he was in there, but he'd been working since the fifties. So to have him in there as a name was kind of a big deal. And I mean, when you think about it, you had Christopher George, who's and, and Linda Day George, who are big names at that time. Paul Smith, who actually was a pretty popular name even before uh, Popeye, he was the the uh, Turkish prison guard in, I think, Midnight Express. Right, right. Mm. So if if you ever saw that movie, you know you would never want to go to Turkey, period, because of him. Well, and Paul um, Smith, didn't he do like a bunch of like Italian Westerns as well? He he did. Okay, so there's another, uh, Bud Spencer and Terrence right. Hill made a huge uh, comedic Western, the Trinity movies, with, the, with them together. Because those are so popular, they partnered Bud uh, Paul Smith with a skinny, blue-eyed actor to kind of do the same thing. So right. he had a huge career as well, um, and, and you'll see him every now and then. He's a big guy, and he's not one to be trifled with either. Um, there's an interview with him on the Pieces disc where he was over in Germany and apparently had a run-in with some Germans because he's Jewish. And uh, that went on his record. So when he went back to Germany to make a film, they're like, you made some trouble when you were here last time. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then you have Jack Taylor from Spain who'd been in a buttload of movies. Um, yeah, I, I, the, this whole film just reeks of what it's trying to be. And that's a parody of a giallo slasher film, but it's still takes all the elements very seriously. Yeah. Um, but on, on the, the Amer now granted the original title translates to, I think a night of a thousand screams. The, yeah. The scream has a thousand or the night has a thousand screams. Yeah. So pieces is the American title, which epitomizes what it is. And even on the poster, it says not only you don't have to go to Texas to have a chainsaw massacre, but then it also says it's exactly what, you think it is. <laughs> so it's not making any excuses or trying to pretend it's something different. Right. It is exactly what you think it is. So you, you bring up that it's sort of a parody, I guess, of the genre. Can we talk about that a bit? Because I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to figure out. Well, I wonder where... if parodies the word is, is so much as just kind of like uh, amping it up. Like it's like okay. it's almost like a, a, an inflation of the genre. It's like it's 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 a, almost like a caricature of the genre. Yeah, they're not now, taking it serious. Well, but here's here's my question. Like, and I would have to know about more about uh, our director and I guess the the writers. Where's the difference between something like being an amped up version of a genre film 
and just a bad version of a genre film that is so outrageous that people say, oh, this has to be on purpose. I've, I, I'm literally, I don't know the answer, so I'm literally looking to you guys to see what you think about this because I love pieces, but it's that weird fine line of like, I can't tell if this is just 90 minutes of happy accidents that turned it into this gonzo classic uh, or if it was a deliberate thing. And if it is deliberate, that raises the genius quotient even more because as we've seen in you know number of cases, when you set out to make a bad movie, you usually end up just like with a, a boring movie. Well, I think I think he's not looking to make a bad movie or a good movie. He's looking to make a really entertaining movie. And if that means things are a little goofy at times, they he knows that'll be entertaining to people. And if I go overboard with the, the gore, that'll be entertaining to people. If I show some boobs, that'll be entertaining to people. And so I think that's it's more along those lines of how many, you know, fun moments can I jam into this in this movie? And, you know, again, on this documentary, uh, J.P. Simon was and I should say Juan Piquet Simon, but J.P. Simon, uh, he was a, he was an established filmmaker. He'd been around for many years and uh, was respected within the genre. Uh, within the the filmmaking, you know, uh, in, in Spain, and so for for him to attach his name to a project meant it was probably going to be commercially successful, and that's because he was always going for what's going to appeal to the masses, as opposed to what's going to win some Oscars. Right, and I think if there were to be a schlock Oscars, this would be you know in the in the pantheon, because. Again, I do I do really appreciate this movie. I don't want to seem like I'm trying to, you know, over intellectualize or anything. I'm just curious about like how this how this well, got made, it, how it came together and was released. I think it feels like a bad movie, right? You know, like if you were watching it, like the acting is weird, the screenwriting's weird, and like this would kind of fall into what most people could categorize as a quote bad movie. But it's like I think it's I think it's beyond that. I think he's not caring about those elements so much as he is about what's going to get a reaction out of the audience. Yeah. Plus, keep in mind, this was one of the producers and the co-writers was Dick Randall, right. who is known for over the top schlocky trash cinema. Um, I mean, he, he produced, he did the don't open till Christmas movie, but he also did the uh, extraterrestrial visitor that you mentioned. He did a few films with, um, with Simon but he also did Slaughter High. He did oh. uh, Challenge of the Tiger, Supersonic Man. So I'm assuming some of the crazy dialogue was from him mm -hmm. and probably some of the promotional stuff. A lot of the what this turned out to be was probably him because it, it could either be that or it was written in Spanish. And when the translation came over to English, something <laughs> got a little fuzzy. But I have a feeling that he was as the co-writer and producer, he was trying to make the movie that he knew he could sell. And yeah. the end product is definitely something that is sellable. Do you know how this was received? Was this movie a hit? Cause I mean, I had heard references to it, like I mentioned before I, I saw it like on podcasts, but it didn't seem to have the cultural relevance of its, you know, kind of brand name contemporaries. I mean, I, I think it, it was popular only because of the vi the VHS days. Right. It was mm. popular on videos. That box art 
if you're looking for a horror movie and it's got a body and a chainsaw on it. Yeah. I think this would yeah. work. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it did have a little bit of a holdup. It was shot in 82, you know, like right in the, the prime of the slasher boom, but that release got delayed until 83. And so it was kind of, it kind of missed its super sweet spot. But at one point it was, it was the fifth highest grossing film in the U S like when it, when it came out, like it was, it was up there. It made a ton of money. When did this come out? Like, like uh, what time of year, what month? I don't remember uh, what year, or I'm sorry. I don't remember what time of the, the year, but, but yeah, I remember seeing the, like the thing on that, that documentary where they're like <laughs> number five, like, you know, right up there with, uh, you know, films like E.T. <laughs> According crazy. to IMDb, it was released in September of 83 here in the States. Okay. That's perfect. So, um, I, the other thing, you guys have seen this movie more than I have. Is the Dean's foot fetish established much earlier? Because it feels like it came out of, maybe I just noticed it towards the end and he'd well, been obsessing over he, them. I think what he's looking for are the perfect feet to fit his, his mom's his mom's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. There's just something I don't know. There was I don't remember him like getting that amped up over other body parts. Right. No, and I like I, agree in, <laughs> I was I thought I was watching a Tarantino movie after a while. Um, but uh yeah, I mean <laughs> To that point, like at the end, apparently our uh, Mary had the perfect feet because she goes over to visit the Dean and he poisons her tea and basically paralyzes her. So she she's aware of everything that's going on, but she can't move and she can't speak. Um, and then like the cops or I guess the lieutenant and Kendall get the tip off at the same time that Christopher George gets the tip off and they figure out what's going on. They converge on the Dean's house. Um, the Dean gets shot in the head after there's a struggle because he's hiding in the curtains. The help me out here. The cops <laughs> come in. The cops come into the Dean's Ian. office. You're doing great. Keep going. They, they, they come into the, the Dean's office slash living room. They see a paralyzed woman laying there. The cops like, he's got to be somewhere around. She can't speak. She's trying to gesture with her eyes. I'll buy that they're not picking up on that because she's just like, you know, intensely looking, you know, pretty much at us. They're going to do a thorough investigation. They don't start with the giant curtains that are maybe they're like, he would never that be are moving stupid. that are moving. That they are must moving. be like they, he'd never be so stupid as to hide right in front of us. But he he did. So the mm. cops leave. Kendall is like, I'm going to get you out of here. So he picks her up off the couch. I was very surprised that he didn't try and like grab some side boob because that's the kind of guy we're dealing with here, honestly. Uh, and then the Dean comes out with this amazing knife. I mean, it's huge. And some of the glints, like we see the, the glint of the light off the blade. And I swear it takes up the entire screen for like a split second. I mean, J.J. Abrams must have watched this movie on repeat as a young lad. Uh, but yeah, so there's a struggle. It's a really pretty intense struggle. It's legit for a for a kind of genre movie like this. I was I had forgotten how the whole exchange ended. So while they're struggling over this knife, I'm like, mm, I'm on the edge of my seat. But the cops finally 
Finally, I don't know. Did they did they go to Wendy's and then come back to complete the investigation? Because they were gone for a long time. Didn't shoot the dean. Yeah, <laughs> shoot the dean in the forehead. He collapses. Um, everything is fine. And then was it? I keep wanting to call him Thor, like the 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 big tall, uh, gray haired lieutenant guy, Frank Branna. Frank Branna. He leans against the what turns out to be a false bookcase, spins around. There's the corpse Frankenstein that the dean had been putting together, all these body parts. It comes out and falls on Kendall, who screams as this body is lying up. And I swear to God, the actress who was playing the corpse, you can see her smiling. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> she's, she's like she's happy in her work. That's why he picked the head, because she had a smile. <laughs> I think it was more like, okay, I'm playing a corpse, but this guy is a terrible actor, and I just, I can't keep it. Well, now, now I'm wondering, like, which one of the, is she the swimmer? Is she the dancer? Is she the tent? I'm like, which one is she? I'm actually wondering, like, if if one of those actresses ended up getting that gig as well, being the, the corpse. She was just so giddy. This was her going to be her big break. This is, <laughs> it's all uphill from here. <laughs> well, so that's how the, and I had, it's a weird situation because I watched this movie very early as I watch all of these films. And I distinctly remember the end of pieces I've been carrying around with me for a decade or however long since I saw it. Cause it really did do something to my brain, yep. the hand coming up and grabbing Kendall's crotch. But then when this, bookcase thing and the the girl falling on him i like wait is the movie over i i remember him screaming at the end but i don't remember this and oh i was kind of let down by a false memory <laughs> until we cut to some time later they're all still in the office there's sheets over these corpses and they're like okay we can go now kendall goes to grab his jacket and a hand comes up from below the screen and just scratches and squeezes his junk into a bloody pulp and we end this terrific freeze frame of him screaming in agony what i noticed this time because i always assumed it was the dean i thought he was somehow alive oh. and a, a couple minutes earlier i'm like no he got shot square in the head like his yeah, brain that, is that, all over that, that would be ridiculous Ian. He <laughs> was that makes head. no sense that, that, how Jesus, could it be the dean on. wow i mean come on pay attention <laughs> There's logic going on here. Look, I understand Academia Giallo is a remedial class, and I'm coming from the <laughs> AP section. No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but no, it's this is the first time in the two times I've seen it, or three, that I, I caught the the fingernails, like the painted fingernails and the kind of the corpse rot on the hand. It's very subtle. Yep. But I'm like, yep. okay, so that makes sense. This is all a fever dream. Because in my imagination from the previous time or times that I'd watched it, the Dean wasn't actually dead, but no, this is all, I it's imagine. Kendall's it's the reanimated Frankenstein corpse. Yep. Right. So I imagine him like on the ground with this corpse on top of him. <clears throat> and this last scene is just him like going insane, like probably in a, an asylum or something and reliving this moment over and over again. Like, Hey, I got my crotch ripped out, but at least I didn't have a Frankenstein, you know, co-ed uh, laying on top of me. I don't know, <laughs> but it's a, it's a masterful way to end a movie. It's shocking because it opens with uh, a really intense, bizarre image of this little 12 year old kid hacking up his you know, mom in the 40s and ends with a guy getting his balls like, you know, pureed. 
it doesn't get much better than that. This is pure cinema. Well, when you go back to my prom night and you have Evil Dead tree raping and then you have equal opportunity with ball squishing, I was like, man, like nobody's ever having sex again. Sorry. Was it was this your way of coping saying, well, this is what happens when you go to prom. <laughs> That's I'm just... right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you don't want to have prom night, folks. I'm just saying. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm I'm gonna stay home. Uh um, so yeah, I guess this kind of that sums up pieces, but what am I missing? Is there anything, any bits of trivia or history or significance we can go over here? Because <clears throat> I feel like this can't be it. This is well, this movie's too important to just let go. Something something I noticed this time around is that I thought our Boston Globe reporter looked a little like Daria Nicolodi. And I'm wondering if that wasn't by design. I feel like she's kind of wearing a similar outfit to Daria in Deep Red. Um, so I don't Could know. Be. I don't know if that's true or not. I just, it was something that popped into my head and I wrote it down. The other thing is that Christopher George, ladies and gentlemen, is the uncle of Wheel of Fortune's Vanna White. Didn't know that. I that didn't was, know that either. Thought that was fun. <laughs> and Ian's done. Tap out. <laughs> you know, my family has recently started watching Wheel of Fortune again. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. And, and I don't. I honestly don't know what to do with that information. Um, I man, didn't either. It, just, it does seem like everybody in show business knows someone or is connected to someone in showbiz or politics going way back. It's it. Wow. It's like that weird stat where you find out like <clears throat> Brad Pitt is related to Barack Obama or something like that. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm serious. I think that's an actual connection. Through, like, Is that right? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, let's see. Uh, all right. We've got a couple of comments from Jonas to close things out. I've bought Footprints and Hotel Fear on Blu-ray. Do you like the films? I don't know those. I films. don't know either of those films, Jonas. You've stumped me. Is what? it just Footprints? I, I know Footprints. Isn't there one Footprints to Satan or something like that? Uh, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank on that one. I don't know. Well, Jonas, if you can leave us some more information in the chat, I don't know if we'll get to it today because we're five minutes out. But if you or, can get it in, yeah, throw something in the comments later. Yeah. Um, and are, are they jolly or are they just uh, well, not just, but are they just regular horror <laughs> movies? I don't know. Um, anyway, I I just like to say, you know, as we come to a oh, sorry, Kitley, do you have anything to close out on pieces? It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> that's all you need to do. Yep. Footprints right. on the moon. That's what the movie is. Okay. Oh, I thought it was okay. It says footprints on the Mon. I thought it was like a like a Jamaican horror movie. Um, and see, and Severin. No. Okay. Severin, Severin releasing. Put it. Yeah, Severin put it out. I have okay. not seen that one, and I and I have not seen Hotel Fear, either, which is an Italian horror. Oh, okay. Mm. But I haven't seen. I was. Those. I didn't know if those were uh, J.P. Simone uh, films as well. No. All right. Uh, Hotel Hotel Fear is Francesco Barilla. Love so is. I'm gonna pasta. have to look into that one now. Maybe, maybe. Sorry, maybe we look into it next year as as we continue Academia Giallo. Um, because this is the, the last class of 2023, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And, uh, I just want to thank you guys for, for continuing to, to hang out and educate me on all things Italian horror and, and the ways that Friday 13th connects to all these movies. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, but 
yeah, so we'll be back next year with uh, more great titles to talk about. We'll also have Brian back with us. Hopefully, Brian, we miss you. Uh, we hope that we did the movie justice. Um, if you have anything else you'd like to contribute to the discussion, drop a comment below, or maybe we'll have a pieces part two, um, more pieces of pieces uh, at some point in the future. Pieces party. This- <laughs> there you go. A pieces party. Um, but anyway, everybody, I've been Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat. Uh, once again, we have Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC, John Kitley of Kitley's Crypt. Oh, uh, hold on a second. Ah. Happy Christmas, everybody. Thank you, Jonas. Happy Christmas to you, too. Um, and happy I, 40th birthday to uh, Pieces. Yes, because that's that was the other thing is I always thought of this as a 1983 movie. But it's actually 82, but 83 as far as the American release. So this counts. All right. I I should have should have brought like party hats or something. But um, anyhow, I just want to say, everybody, picking up on Jonas's sentiment, um, have a scary Christmas and a hacky New Year. What do you think of that? I like it. I like it. Yeah. That joke was kind of hack. Anyway, um, please, everybody out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the the pieces discussion. Um, if you liked it, you know, leave a like and leave a comment down below. What do you want to hear us talk about or watch us talk about in the new year that is 2024? As far as uh, Giallo, we have there's a long list of movies still to go through. We want to we want to know what you think and uh, you know join the discussion. But um, until next time, please remember to support my lovely and talented guests. All their information is down below. Please like and subscribe to Kicking the Seat. And um, yeah, till next time, whenever that is, whatever that is, class dismissed. Dismissed.